Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard the story uh, about the, the kindergarten teacher? She had uh, given an assignment to her class, and it was to, to draw something. She wanted to do an art project and uh, draw something that was important to them. And so they got to work, and there was a little boy in the class. His name was Johnny. And as they all started uh, drawing, Johnny was sitting in the back of the classroom, and, and, and he is hard at work. I mean, Johnny is locked in, focused. He is just down. So the rest of the class is finishing up, you know, drawing what's important to them, and they're turning it in, and Johnny is still working away in the back of the classroom. I mean, he is just, he is intense, and so the teacher's given a little bit of time, but she can't give it any much, much more time. Everybody else has turned theirs in, and so she decides that uh, she's just going to say out loud uh, to the class, curious a little bit, hey, Johnny. What are you working so hard on? And Johnny, without even looking up, without missing a beat, he says, I'm drawing God. I'm drawing God. And she, she, she was a little flabbergasted. She said, well, Johnny, nobody knows what God looks like. And again, without looking up, without missing a beat, Johnny said, well, when I'm through, they will. <laughs> What, what, what is it? What, is, what does God look like? What are, how do we describe God? What's the nature and, and, and character of God? It, it, you know, if you were, uh, if, if it wasn't Johnny, if it was an adult that had said that, we might think, boy, you have a confidence, maybe an overconfidence, maybe a little arrogance that you think you know what God is like or what God looks like or how to get an image or a picture of God. And yet, yet in scripture, we do. In scripture, God gives us glimpses of who he is. He reveals his character and his nature. And there is so much that's revealed that gives us a picture of who God is, of what God is like, of what his nature is and what his character is like. And, uh, and oftentimes that's revealed through his names. And, uh, and so today, we're going to begin a series of messages that I'm calling, Hello, My Name Is. Now, how many have ever had to put one of those stickers on? You know, you've gone to a place, maybe it was a conference training or somewhere, you've had to write your name on that. If you're like me, it's like, oh, do I have to do this? Do I put my first name only, my first name and last name? But the reason they do that is because we want to get to know each other. And how do you get to know each other? You know that it's very personal when you know somebody's name, when you learn somebody's name and, and you be able to put your name on that. And so uh, rather than just saying, let's call this series the names of God or the covenant names of God. I thought, hello, my name is hello. My name is because names are personal. And uh, they, they, they allow us to be personal. They make a huge impression when you remember somebody's name. And in fact, likewise, I think there's significance in knowing God's name, not just knowing about it, but truly understanding the character, the nature, the history, the story behind who God is and why he revealed himself in that way. Now, I was reading and what kind of spurred on uh, to, to head down this particular path, and I've, I've taught on this before, uh, but, but I've come across some things that have just really helped me to dive a little bit deeper than the way that I've gone before about this. Uh, but there was a passage of scripture that I've been reading through the Psalms in my, my personal study and devotions, and I came across Psalm chapter 9, and verse 10 just grabbed my attention. This is what Psalm 9, uh, verses 9 and 10, verse 10 was really what grabbed it, but 9 and 10 is the context. The Lord, the psalmist says, and I believe this is David, the Lord is the stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those, look at this, those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. N notice what it says. Those who know your name do what? Put their trust in you. Those who know your name put their trust in you. And that just grabbed my attention to say that there is something important when it comes to faith, when it comes to trust, knowing God by name. 
Knowing who he is, knowing him by name, encourages and inspires our faith. And the psalmist understood that. The psalmist understood in a personal way that God is the stronghold of their lives in times of trouble. And that when he knew God personally, it bolstered his ability to be able to trust the Lord, especially in times of trouble. And so we're going to explore the names that God reveals to his people. And throughout this study, I believe we're going to learn some critical aspects of who God is, both his nature and his character. And it's going to lead us, I believe, into a place where we can, we can grow deeper in our relationship with our very personal God, our very personal God. So to kick things off, I want to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to begin there in Exodus chapter 33. And so as you do that, let me provide a little backstory to what's happening uh, here again. As we look at scripture and ultimately what I want you to understand, the summary of scripture is really the story of God. Oftentimes we like to make scripture about us. We like to make scripture about the wisdom we can receive. We like to make scripture about the teaching we can receive. What are the blessings we can receive? What can we do? And we like to turn scripture around and we like to make scripture about us when really scripture is really the story of God. It really reveals God. It, it, it teaches us about God. It teaches us who God is and it teaches us how we as his people relate to him. In the story, there's a climactic moment oftentimes throughout scripture where the door swings wide open and, and we get kind of a brand new revelation uh, of such com kind of compelling vision, terrifying vision of who God is. And oftentimes some of those critical moments happen on mountains. Uh, for instance, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus had taken a couple of his disciples, Peter and James and John with him, and they went up on the mountain, and it was there that, that, God, that Jesus was transfigured before them, and Moses and Elisha showed up. One of those critical moments where you get a picture of who God is. Well, there's something that happened in the Old Testament up on a, up on a mountain where we get a glimpse of, of, of who God is. And the setting of Exodus 33 and really the entire book of Exodus is that Israel as a nation, they've been miraculously set free from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And God did some amazing miracles. And next week we're going to talk about uh, those miracles a little bit and, and, and how God revealed himself through uh, those plagues and those miracles and the miraculous that he did. He brings them through the Red Sea, destroys their enemies. And now this once family that had been in slave for 400 years is now a, a nation and they don't know how to be a nation. Moses is their leader and God begins to draw them out and he, he brings them to the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai, and he doesn't take them a normal way. He takes them through the desert uh, and on their way to this land that he promises anything but a smooth ride. And, uh, and this unique relationship with the creator God we see between Moses and, and, and this creator God, Exodus 33, 11. And it says this, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I, 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 I stop right there for a moment before we get into really the, the name of God, because I want you to see the personal nature in which Moses has with God. It says that Moses speaks with God face to face as a friend, as a friend. We get to eavesdrop on this conversation between Moses and God. Moses is asking God to go with the Israelites every step of the way. Some context, what previously happened in Exodus 32 is when, they, when, when the people get a little nervous because Moses has been up on the mountain too long and they say to, to Aaron, the high priest, make us a God that we can worship. And, and they're worshiping a golden calf and, and God is angry and Moses is saying, God, we, we, we want to move to the promised land, which you've called us to. We know this is what you, but we're not going alone. We're not going unless you go with us. We're not going unless your presence goes with us. We're going to get to that at the end. I want to dive into that a little bit. But, but every step of the way, there's this conversation back and forth that Moses is having, think about it, with God, with the, with the creator, the creator of the universe, like God. I, I, I think I, I think sometimes we get we get this becomes so common for us as Christians that we 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 don't pause to ponder just how 
just how like amazing this is. God. That Moses speaks to God as one speaks face to face with a friend. Some of you, if you walked in here, you had many conversations with friends as you walked into church and in the foyer. Think about having that kind of an intimate relationship with God. And, and, and he's, he's, he's talking in this conversation. And then he makes a huge ask in verse 18. And Moses says, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. In ancient Hebrew literature, to speak of God's glory was to speak of, of both his presence and his beauty. And Moses was asking God, God, reveal to me who you really are. I, I want to know you in a way that I've not known you before. We, we're speaking face to face and we've had conversations and, and we're going to get into this one that happened around a, a bush that burned but didn't burn up. But, but God, I want to know you in a way that I've not yet known you. Show me your glory. Moses wants to see God in person, not just a, a head knowledge, but, but he wants to experience God. Now, God is holy, right? And he says, nobody can see me. Nobody can see my face. Nobody can see my face and live. But, but God doesn't leave it there. What happens next is critical because God gives something, I, I, I think, that is, that is equal, if not better, to Moses, a way in which Moses can know the Lord, and it's also a way in which you and I can know the Lord. This is what Exodus 33, 19, this is God's response. Show me your glory in verse 18, verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you, here it is, my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Notice, I'll make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim to you my name, the Lord. And just to clarify this, God has a name. God has a name. And it's not just simply God. Right, pastor, are you preaching heresy? No, no, no. It's not just simply God. Next week, we're going to really get into this and really dig a little deeper into, into why this is important. But, but God is, 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 is this, this wonderful title. Yes, he's God. But, but beyond that, he has a personal name. He has a personal name. It's Yahweh. And this might sound initially like semantics, but, but let me assure you, friends, it's not. The fact that God has a name is more important than most of us will ever realize. I'd argue that, that as do others, that knowing God personally through his name actually has the potential to alter the way that you and I relate to him. It alters the way that we relate to him. In the ancient writers of the Bible, a name was more than just a label that, that, that you would use to make a dinner reservation or, or something that you would use to sign up for a class at the Y or at the gym or something like that. A, a name was more than just a label. It was your identity and it represented your destiny. Really the truth that's hidden in the very morrow of your being. It was a, a one word moniker, the truest thing about you and I. It was, in, in a sense, it, it, it is the truest part of you. So for, for me, my name is Aaron. So my name would not just be a label Aaron. It would be literally the Aaronness. What makes me Aaron? What makes me Aaron? What makes you who you are? One Old Testament scholar writes this. In the world, the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity origin, birth circumstance, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fulfill. They're revelatory about the nature of the person. It's the truest part of you. And scripturally, we see right from the beginning, we see this happen when Adam was naming who God had brought to him as a helpmate. He named her Eve. And why did he give her that name? Well, Genesis 3.20 says, because she would be the mother of all the living. It was to describe her destiny, describe her nature, describe who she was. 
Also in Genesis, Abraham was not always Abraham. Originally, his name was Abram until God got a hold of him and makes this promise in Genesis 17, 5 and 6. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Abram meant exalted father. But Abraham means father of many nations. It was a new identity. It was a new destiny. It was something that God said, I'm about to do something new in you that you have not seen. I know that right now you are not a father, but I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do something that I promised to you. And I'm going to give it to you in your name. That every time somebody says your name, Abraham, it's going gonna, it's gonna to remind you of the destiny I have for you. The destiny I have for you. Some of you are getting this. Abraham and Sarah, they had a son. They named him Isaac. Sarah was the one who named him Isaac. Why'd she name him Isaac? Because when she was told later on, as she was much older and, and she's advanced in years, and she was told, you're going to have a son. And it's not going to be a son that's going to come through a surrogate like Hagar. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a son that's going to come right from you, going to be conceived in you. What did she do? She laughed, right? And then when Isaac was born, the joy and the laughter of, of years and years and years and years of waiting so overwhelmed her that when she went to name her son, she named him Isaac. Laughter because of the joy that so brought to her heart. Right? That's, that's names. Isaac's son uh, was, was named Jacob. He had twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was named Esau because he was a hairy man. Right? Jacob was named Jacob because he was a heel grabber, a twin grabbing onto his, his brother's foot as he came out. But more than just heel grabber, it meant, it meant liar or cheat or deceiver. And when you look at his life, when you look at the biography of his early life, he lived out that destiny. A deceiver and a liar and a cheat until one day he had an encounter with God where he wrestled with God all night long. And he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and he said, and, and they said, I, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And what came along with that wrestling, with that wrestling, with that, with that struggle with God, what came along with that was a new name. You'll no longer be called Jacob, you'll be called Israel. One who wrestles or struggles with God. It, 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 a name means something. It's more important than just a, a label on your coffee cup at the end of the Starbucks counter. It means something. It, it means something. It, it, it's about character and nature and destiny. And, and it's important to understand the context of that. Because if you don't understand the context of that in the Hebrew, then you can simply go by these names and not truly understand that it's more than a label. But we understand something about the very nature and the very character of the God in which we serve who invites us into a very personal relationship with him. Let's take a few moments to trace the storyline through Scripture. In the first line of Genesis, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before there was time and space, before there was Adam and Eve, there was God. And how do we know him? We don't know him by a name. We simply know him as the creator of the heavens and the earth. There is no personal name that is revealed at this point. It's simply in the beginning was God, the creator of heaven and earth. He was known as the creator of the heavens and the earth. And later in Genesis, the creator comes to Abram and he calls him out of this place called Ur of the Chaldees. And he says, listen, Abram, I'm revealing to you, you need to pack up your U-Haul. You need to leave this area of Macedonia where your family is from. And, and, and I'm not going to tell you exactly where I'm taking you. You're just going to have to follow me, but I'm going to take you to a land that's going to be yours. And for your family, and you're just gonna have to follow me. And 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 Abram picks up and goes. You gotta leave all the gods behind of Ur and Mesopotamia. There was all kinds of gods in, in Ur and Mesopotamia and all. I want you to leave those behind because I'm revealing to you I'm God. I, I'm gonna be your God, your personal God. I'm gonna be your and I, I want you to follow me. And so the creator reveals himself to him in that way. And what's amazing is the fact that three of the worlds. Most prominent religions even today, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all trace 
their history back to this guy, Abraham. They all trace it back to this guy, Abraham, who, who heard from God, who we know of at this point as the creator of heaven and earth, right? The creator, that's, that's all, that's all, this is God. That's all he knows. So this is, this is Abram's God. Abram is following this, this God who revealed himself. I'm following this God. He said to leave. I'm following him. And so what happens is, is, is God goes from being creator God to then suddenly becoming the God of Abraham. In Genesis, as you track it, God now, by his label, he was God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Then he becomes known as the God of Abraham, and eventually the God of Isaac, and eventually the God of Jacob. Whose God do you follow? I follow my daddy's God. I follow Abraham's God. I follow the God that Abraham follows. That, that, that's kind of how, uh, up in this point, this is how this is, this is tracking. Are you, are you following me here? There's, there's not a personal revelation of who God is. The closest thing we get is in Genesis, or some, yeah, Genesis 17, 1, where God comes to Abraham and he declares to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. It's the, it's the word El Shaddai. El is a Canaanite word that means king of the gods. King of the gods. It's the Canaanite word El was king of the gods, but he calls himself El Shaddai. And it's a way of like saying, you know what? I am El. I am the king of the gods, but oh, I am so much more than that. I'm so much more. El Shaddai. I'm, I'm so much more than that. other places in Genesis. It calls him El Elyon, which meaning God most high or El Olam, meaning God everlasting. But it was a way in which God is describing his characteristics of who he is. It's not necessarily personal name. It's more of, of describing about him. Creator of heaven and earth. God almighty. I'm the God above all gods. And, and next week, I'm telling you, you've got to come back next week. Because we're going to really get into this part. God above all gods and what that means next week. I mean, it, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm excited. I'm excited. So, so. But, but he's revealing himself, God everlasting, always was, ever, ever was. But more importantly, as far as Israel was concerned, it was simply, this is my daddy's God. This is Abraham's God. And then Isaac came along and, and God revealed himself to Isaac. And, 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 and Isaac began to serve the God that revealed himself and made promises to Abraham and made those same promises to Isaac. And then Jacob comes along and he has the same encounter. Well, which God are you? Uh, I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm your, I'm your daddy's God. And, and, and that was kind of the way in which they began to, 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 to follow this through. The creator, again, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now Moses, Moses is there. And, and, and Moses is on the backside of the desert. He, he's about 80 years old. Uh, and and uh, he, earlier in his life, he was, he was uh, one who probably should have perished because of, of, of Pharaoh wanting to kill all the baby boys. And his mom floated him down the river. And he got his name because it was floating down the river. That was kind of how he got his name because I drew him out of the river. And Pharaoh's daughter drew him out of the river, gave him the name Moses. I drew him out. He was raised uh, in Pharaoh's, got, had all the education uh, of the Egyptians, got all, all of that. And he was pure-blooded Hebrew and was able to be early on nursed by his mom because of his sister following along. I mean, amazing. You say, well, that's just amazing. Why is that? Because that's God, right? Because he's, he's orchestrating all of this. Don't you see? God is orchestrating all of this. And, and then he, 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 he sees his people being oppressed. And, and so he wants to take some matters into his own hands because of the injustice. And he, he kills the Egyptian uh, slave, slave driver. And, and he kills him and buries him. Thinks nobody sees. And the next day he sees a couple of his Hebrew brothers. And, and they're fighting. And he tries to step in. And they say, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? Who do you think you are? And all of a sudden he... The life just goes out of him. He, he murdered somebody. And, and now his people seem to be rejecting him. And what did I do? And they're going to find out. And so he becomes a refugee. And he, he flees off into the wilderness. And, and, uh, and, and he becomes to be a, a, a shepherd in the wilderness to a family. And, and Jethro, this high priest. And so there he is, just content to live his life wandering around in the desert. And, and being a shepherd until, until one day, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, his daddy's God, one day that God reveals himself to Moses on the backside of the desert through a a bush that is burning and does not burn up. Are are you seeing the story? Are are you tracking with me? And, And so Moses approaches and the creator, God, introduces himself. And this is how he introduces himself. Exodus 3, 6. I'm not making this stuff up, friends. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's, that's how the creator reveals himself. He identifies himself. Listen, this is which God I am. I am your daddy's God. I am your ancestor's God. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And it begins a, a conversation where God says, I'm aware of the oppression of my people. And I'm also aware of the promises that I made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I'm about to act on that. I hear their cries. I, I, hear, their, I hear it. And, 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 and my full wrath is, is ready to be poured out on, these, on, on the people here in this land. The, the Canaanites in that land, they have not served me. They have served other gods. And, and it, the time is now. And I'm calling you, Moses. I'm calling you, Moses. Well, Moses, you know, he has a little bit something to say about that. He's a little reluctant, right? They have a little bit of back and forth and exchange, and we're not going to read all of that. But Exodus 3.13, Moses then asks a fascinating question. This is the question that he asks. This is this, is, this, is this encounter. Exodus 3.13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, that's all you've revealed, that's all you've said. The God of your fathers has sent me to him, and they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, when we read this, and I've done this myself, when we read this, you just think, you take it at face value. What, well, what is your name? Well, what do you mean, what is your name? I mean, that's just kind of, what, what is your name? And, and if we were to look at that in the Hebrew context, though, if you were to read it in Hebrew, the, the word, what is your name? What is his name? Is Ma Shemo. Ma Shemo. It's different than how you would normally approach somebody and ask somebody their name. If you were to approach somebody in Hebrew just casually and ask their name, you'd say Mi Shmika. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's something like that. Mi Mia Shmikma, Shmika, I don't know. More literally, who is your name? More literally, who is your name? But Moses has it a little different. He says it a little different. What's so different? What's the difference in the meaning here between Ma Shema and Mia Shemikma? Well, Ma Shema, there's significance because what it's saying, what Moses really is saying is what's the meaning of your name? What's the significance of your name? In other words, what makes you you? You're asking me to do something just absolutely wild. And you're saying I'm the God of 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 your your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in in that. But what makes you you? How do I know I can trust you? He's not looking for a label like Bob or Hank or Sue. He's he's asking the creator, what are you really like? Who, who, Who are you really? Who are you really? Tell me about your character. And and the creator speaks for the very first time ever. He utters this personal name that is so holy that the Jews don't even use vowels. There's no vowels in it. We're going to get into that in a moment. There's no vowel. And they don't even want to say it. So oftentimes they use Adonai. And they say Adonai, the Lord, because it's too holy to speak. But can you imagine the first time that God utters his personal name? I can just imagine the ground like shaking. We don't see that in scripture. Don't, don't read into that. I don't know if that's there. But the first time that God utters his personal, this is a holy moment. Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. This is a holy moment. And, and this is what he says. God said to Moses, this is in response. I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In the Hebrew, it's Erya uh, Asher Eya. One way to translate it is what I am, I will be. What I am, I will be. Meaning that whatever this God is like, he's that way consistently unshifting 24-7. This is who I am. I am that I am. I, I don't change. I don't shift. I am that I am. So, for example, if God is compassionate, then he is compassionate all the time. 
And if God is gracious, he is gracious all the time. And if God is merciful, he is merciful all the time. If he's slow to anger, he is slow to anger all the time. That is why God can be trusted because unlike you and I, God does not shift and God does not change. He is consistent. He is I am. He is I am. Furthermore, this is what God said. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So it is not, it is, it is one of the, where God is saying, listen, you can call me generally God, but you've got to understand this is the God that I am. I am Yahweh. I am, I am, I am. Now we said that, 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 that as we, we get deeper into this, that this idea, well, Yahweh, well, there was no vowels. You said, you just said that there's no, there's no vowels. Well, in, in the Hebrew word, again, they're just consonants. They, they kind of wrote succinctly. So if I put up on the screen up here, um, this particular thing, uh, with no vowels, how would you read that? If you said, this is a sentence, you were Right. You added in the vowels that you thought would be there that would make it sound the way it is. This is the sentence. Well, there's a four-letter word for Yahweh without the vowels uh, that we read in in, in Scripture without the vowels. It's called a uh, a, a tetragrammaton, a four-letter word, not that other four-letter word. Tetragrammaton, and it's written this way, Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. And it's how we kind of come away as we, we kind of add the vowels in, Yahweh. So he revealed himself as, as this, meaning what is your name? Now, it's so sacred, they wouldn't write it. So they would write Adonai. They would write Adonai, meaning the Lord. And so whenever you see a capital L, or oftentimes in Scripture, you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. What you're really reading into is in the original as it was written, it was Yahweh. It was Yahweh. Back to the question Moses asked, what's the meaning of your name? A few chapters later, this is what God tells him. And this is, this is, this, ah, I love it. It says this, God says this, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. That's El Shaddai. I appeared to them as God, God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord, I did make myself fully known to them. So what he's saying is, I revealed myself to your fathers, to Abraham. I revealed myself to Isaac. I revealed myself to Jacob, but I only did so as El Shaddai, the king of the gods, God of the gods, the creator of the gods, and so much more. El Shaddai. But I, I did not even get to the point where I revealed to them my personal name. But oh, I have to you. I have to you, my people, I have revealed myself personally to you. While Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God partially, Moses and the Israelites would know God fully. And so would you and I. Oh, so good, so good. So now let's skip ahead. Exodus chapter 34, all right? So Moses has that exchange with God, right? And he was talking to God as face to face. Show me your glory. God said, no, no, no. I'm not, you know, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. You know, meet me up here tomorrow. And, and so Moses makes his way back up the mountain. And in Exodus 34, we get the significance of this personal name, Yahweh. We get more, we get, there's more revealed to us here. Moses climbs back up and, and, and this is a very descriptive passage and very critical in the Old Testament. Very critical passage in the Old Testament. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. It says this, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord descended in a cloud, stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and a Bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity and the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and the fourth generation? There is a lot packed into this. And the end part of that we'll get into as we go through this series, but. But I want to focus on, on the fact that, that God just doesn't, 
declare his name, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Then when you repeat something, it's emphasis. It's like underline. It's like bold in the way that we would do it. There's an emphasis here. The Lord, the Lord, right? And then all of a sudden God gets descriptive. He had recently said, I am Right? I am who I am. I am consistent. I, this, is, this is who I, I am has sent you. This is, this is what is consistent. But let me tell you something. Let me reveal something to you about my character. Let me, let me give a self-disclosure statement about myself. In fact, John, Dr. John Salhammer, an Old Testament scholar, said that this is quite, quite possibly one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. And another scholar, Dr. Tim Mackey, calls this the John 3.16 of the Hebrew Bible. That's how, that's how significant this is. Why? Because God is self-disclosing to us his character and his nature and the consistency and faithfulness of who he is. And look what he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. This is God. This is, this is Yahweh. This is the God that we serve. This is the, it was, this, this passage was quoted over and over and over again in the Old Testament from people like Moses to David to Jeremiah and even to Jonah. You want to know why Jonah was so unhappy and why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place? Why? Because of this. Because what did he say? What did Jonah say? Do you remember what Jonah said when, he, when, the, when the Ninevites repented and there was revival? I knew you would do this because this is your character. I knew you were slow to, I knew you were compassionate. I knew you would, you, you would allow them to, to repent. I knew you would withhold judgment from them. That's why I didn't even want to go because I knew your character. Ooh. John Mark Homer says that this is ground zero for a theology on God. <laughs> God shared his name. He didn't start with the omnis. When God introduced himself, he didn't say, I am, I am God, omnipresent, I'm everywhere always. I am God, omniscient, I know all things. I am God, omnipotent, I'm, 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 all, I'm, I'm all powerful. Now he chose to say, I'm... I'm Yahweh, I'm compassionate, I'm merciful, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in everlasting love. I, I think that sometimes when we, when, we, when we take a look at scripture, we have a tendency to, to look at the God of the Old Testament as, as kind of this, kind of this, this grumpy old warmonger. You know, like just out to like punish people and out to, you know, just, just for their sins and bring judgment and bring wrath and, and bring all in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden you got the son. He kind of went off to, you know, to college, you know, kind of liberal arts college and came back with all this, you know, love and peace and, and, and forgiveness and, and compassion. And, and, and come on, dad. I mean, yeah, I know that they've sinned, but you know what? Let's show love and compassion and let me die for them. And, and, and just, 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 you know, let, let's do it my way rather than your way. That is so twisted. That is so inconsistent with scripture. It's so inconsistent with who God is. I mean, in fact, when we, when we take a look at, at this about the nature of Jesus, the apostle John opens his gospel and, and, and he's talking about the word and that's Jesus, the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus is eternal, but he gets to, to one fourteen, and he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And, and when we read that, we don't understand. We don't get that that actually, and I didn't get it either until I was just enveloped in this study. And I didn't get it either that what, what John is actually pointing to and revealing to when you begin to read and you begin to, to take the Greek apart, what he's doing is he's actually referencing this passage where, where God reveals himself as Yahweh to Moses in Exodus 34. And he says, I'm compassionate. 
I mean, when you think about it, dwelt among us as I tabernacled among us. Think about the setting at the bottom of the, of the mountain. They were, they were, there, was a, there was the tent and the tabernacle. Moses was, was in there with God. The cloud would hover. And, and the glory, Moses said, show me your glory. And it says, and it says now we have seen his, his glory. What Moses asked for, we have seen because it's seen evidenced in Jesus. The glory of God through Jesus who has tabernacled among us. Who, who didn't stay in heaven but dwelt among us. That, that he is Yahweh. He, he's for the only son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. And when you look at full of grace and truth, it is actually linked to the phrase love and faithfulness that we see in Exodus 34. In other words, Jesus isn't, and we, we've said this before, Jesus isn't, isn't, isn't of another kind. He, he didn't come like that college student back and said, okay, dad, come on, let's change your nature. God was the same, and Jesus is the same. And what we see in Jesus is what is revealed in who the Father is. Who the Father is. That the, that the Father is love and faithfulness, and He's the perfect balance of both grace and compassion, truth, backbone, and courage. And John's taking this, this language, and he's telling us that this is Yahweh become flesh. That Jesus is Yahweh become flesh. Mm, I know, this is deep. Pastor, are you preaching heresy? No, Jesus said it himself. If you turn to John chapter 17, I'm just going to look at two partial scriptures here. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. This is towards the end of his ministry before he's about to, to go to the cross. And Jesus says this, John 17, 6, just, just the first part of that. He says, I have manifested your name. I have manifested your name. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And then if you jump down to verse 26, I have made known to them your name. I have made known to them your name, your personal name, Yahweh. I have manifested it. I am it. I have lived it. I, I have shown them by how I live and who I am. And I have revealed to them who you are. And then he goes to the cross and he dies for you and I with, with, because of his compassion and his love and his faithfulness. Why did God do that? Because he couldn't do anything else because that was consistent with his character. I am. I am. I am. Woo! I'm ready to worship. I am. I, I, I mean, th this is this is what this is what Jesus reveals to us. This is who he is. And and he and Jesus came as Yahweh manifested to demonstrate for us who, who the Father is. Who the Father is. Oh, I've got so much more, but we are running out of time this morning, friends. Let me just say this. Let me just kind of sum up what I was going to say. If we go back to Exodus 33, that kind of sets this up. What you see is Moses having this interaction with God and God personally revealing his name to Moses. And they're, they're having a conversation. What happened previous to this as I mentioned in, 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 in Exodus chapter 32 was that the Israelites with Moses being gone had decided to create an image even though they had already had the Ten Commandments they decided they were going to create an image of God in the form of a golden calf and God was angry God was angry he had revealed himself he had taken them out he had revealed himself personally I am then he had demonstrated that, and we're going to look at this next week over and over and over again against the gods of the Egyptians, showing himself to be all-powerful, showing himself. He had brought them out into the wilderness. He had provided water for them. He had provided manna and food for them. He, he had provided for them. He had shown them and provided for them. He was revealing himself on the mountain, and there they are making an image. And God was angry, and, and God says to, to Moses, in, in verses 9 and 10, and the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And you go, oh, this seems inconsistent with what we read in verse 34. It seems inconsistent with that. God is angry. God is upset. And we look at all that God did and we look at all of that. And 
But what, what, but what I want you to see is the exchange that Moses has with God. The, the exchange that Moses has with God. In fact, this, this revelation, there's, a, there's a, a, a theologian, Gary Bershers, I love what he said. He said, this is God processing his feelings with a human pro- partner. Have you thought about that? This is God processing his feelings with a human partner. Why am I sharing this? Because I want you to understand that, that you and I have access to God to be able to have this personal conversation and relationship with him in such a way that as we begin to converse with God, like Moses, we can begin to have this intercession with God, reminding God of who he is, reminding God of his faithfulness, reminding God of his promises. And as they go back and forth, they're having this kind of interaction. And Moses says, well, well, wait a minute. Why should the Egyptians say that with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountain to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And back and forth they go. And what Moses is saying is, God, this is not in your care. God, this is not who you are. And if you do this, this is, this is going to say to the Egyptians, well, look at that. He just brought him out there because he wanted to wipe him out. That's not who you are. God, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. And in this intercession, he begins to say, God, this is who you are. And that's not. God, this is who you are. And that's not. And, and, and look what happens in verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent everywhere, having a personal conversation with who this shepherd who had killed somebody and was not following God on the back end of the desert. And now all of a sudden he reveals himself as Yahweh, the God of compassion, the God who is slow to anger. And in this conversation, they begin to have this intimate, personal encounter with one another and God relented. And that kind of relationship It's something that you and I can have with Yahweh. We can have that with Yahweh. That's what he wants to have with us. He invites us into this relationship where he is revealing to us who he is in his mercy, in his compassion, in his graciousness. And he invites us in to have these conversations. And so he wants you to remind him when you have a wayward son or a wayward daughter to begin to remind God of the promises in his word and his character and who he is. When you yourself find yourself messing up and failing, that you've got a God that you can go to and you can repent to. Why? Because he is gracious. He is compassionate and gracious and merciful and slow to anger because God is inviting you in to relationship with him. To relationship with him. Worship team, will you come? I just want to close with a quote from Dallas Willard. He said, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does and does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. Prayer moves the hand of God. It moves the hand of God. Why? Because he's just not the God of your father's. He's just not the God of your ancestors. He's just not the God in the Old Testament or the God of the Bible. He is personal to you. He is Yahweh. And he wants to reveal himself to you in a very personal and real way. He's inviting you into that. That's why Jesus came. To invite you in to this very personal and intimate relationship with your heavenly father. Yahweh. Let's bow our heads this morning. And I just, I want to make it available. Maybe, maybe you don't really know God. 
you don't know Yahweh. Maybe you've known about him. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've even gone to church. But have you ever personally given your life to him, personally surrendered your life and said, Yahweh, I need your compassion and your mercy and your grace. I, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. Jesus came that we might know the Father. He came that we might have this intimate relationship like Moses had as one speaks face to face with a friend. And maybe today you need to begin a friendship with God. Today you need to come to him with your sins and with your baggage and with your hurt and with your pain. And you need to say, oh God, I come to you. This is what I have to bring. And he says, what I have to bring is compassion and mercy and grace. Will you come to God and allow him to take your baggage, your pain, your hurt, your sin? Will you come and let Jesus take those and will you allow God to introduce you to this personal relationship with him? If that's you this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, you want to enter into that kind of relationship, will you slip up your hand this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe you want to renew your relationship with him? Is there anyone at all? Maybe you're watching online and you say, I need to do that. Will you just let us know in the comments? Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray with those that raise their hand this morning. Let's pray right now. Dear Jesus, we thank you today that you love us and that you gave your life for us and that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. We ask you to forgive us of our sin. I ask you personally, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I want to know you personally and intimately. I want to know who you are. And I enter into a relationship with you. Yahweh. Yahweh I am. Come and live inside my life and transform me. Come and take my hurt and my pain and my sins. And make me like you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.